Thanks for checking out the Oak Point West Bloomfield podcast. We're a community of people who keep it real and believe that the gospel is such good news because it really applies to our real lives. We're well aware that we all need Jesus, and so we don't shame each other, we help each other. And we hope we can encourage you along the way as we pursue Jesus together. Good morning, how is everybody? All right, welcome to Oak Point Church, West Bloomfield. I'm Joe Seastead, the lead pastor here. I want to share something with you really quick. As I was um, reading a book last night for a few minutes, it was like a church book, and um, generally this book doesn't make me too like, happy and excited, but there's something that the author said that really intrigued me. And they said that there's three things that you want to accomplish on a Sunday morning. Three things as a church. Three reasons why we're here. The first reason is to hear from God to hear from God, from his word. We don't want to come up here with clever, you know, um, speeches and things like that. We want to hear from the word of God. And I pray that I'll do that today and that we'll get a chance to do that. The second thing, we want God to hear from us, which is what we just did. When we were singing All Hail King Jesus, we want to lift up our voices to, to shout glory to the Lord. We want the Lord to know that we are here right now, that we are worshiping him in unison as the church of Christ, lifting up His name because He is holy. So we want to hear from God. We want God to hear from us. We want to hear from one another. And I was reminded of that. You know, there's a lot of time during the week of sermon prep where I'm on my own. I'm, I'm, it's my Bible. It's um, my notes. It's my prayers with the Lord. It's a lot of writing of notes. I take like 12 pages of notes every single week. So it's a lot of uh, introvert type of work. I didn't realize how much you had to be an introvert to be a pastor, but it's true. If you're going to study the Word of God, you've got to be in the Word but then um, when, you, when I come here on a Sunday morning and I get a chance to have conversations with people on the way in, talking about how our weeks are going, we want to hear from one another. You aren't meant to walk this life alone. And that's why life groups are in so, so important. We come together in people's living rooms to be able to encourage one another and hear from the words. So that's why we're here today. We're here to hear from God, God to hear us, and hear from one another. So please don't leave too quick. Get a chance to get in a conversation with somebody, even if you braved it coming in with that ice. Stick around for a few extra minutes and get a chance to hear from somebody else today. We are continuing on in our book, series in the book of Romans called Forgiven, because the most important truth for you all to understand, for us all to get, is that for those who are in Christ, we have been forgiven of our sins, made right with God. When God sees you, he sees you righteous and without blemish because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? We're forgiven. And we've been going through a couple of very difficult chapters. Uh, these are chapters that are hard to preach because we talked about God's sovereignty in election the last couple of weeks. And we're going to be getting in now to the other side of that coin, um, which is our free will choice to choose God. Last week, we looked at how every single human being will have an encounter with Jesus. It'll go one of two ways. He will either be your cornerstone, your firm foundation, how you develop your life around, because He is Lord. He'll either be your cornerstone or He will be your stumbling stone. Meaning that He will be the one that you trip over on your way to a life apart from God. It'll either be a cornerstone or your stumbling stone. I'm going to share a story with you um, that happened for me several years ago. I was 28 years old. 
a young leader of a manufacturing plant. I had about 80 people beneath me that I was the manager of. Um, this manufacturing plant, it was, it was, it was one, a very industrial setting. We're talking about like very hot metals that are being uh, worked with, super heavy, pretty dangerous. The, the workers are very frontline, blue collar, uh, generally hardworking, not all the time, kind of getting away, <laughs> kind of a like unionized environment, not knocking on unions or anything, but it was hard to manage them. And we just couldn't get a win. I mean, machines were breaking down, oil spilling all over the place, near misses with safety. We weren't fulfilling our production orders. Um, there was all types of quality issues. And I was getting a ton of pressure from above me. Like I had like the regional leader coming in from like Canada to check on me and micromanage me. It was just a really hard environment. So I decided like, hey, I'm gonna be the leader here. I'm gonna get these guys to start to perform. So uh, mainly guys, there's some ladies there too. And I made these production boards and I put them out in front of every one of our assembly lines. And I started to track the production. I had them actually track their own production. But I wanted to make sure that everybody knew what the goal was for each production line. So I had like days of the week and then I had like them put a dot mark on their number of whatever units they made for that day. But I put like a dashed line like up like this showing what it needed to be. And they would plot these, these dots. And I was like a one trick pony. I mean, when they, when they saw me, they'd see me from a mile away. They knew I was only after the numbers. It's like, so how'd it go yesterday? I'm looking at the chart, I'm a little bit, you know, upset because it didn't hit the goal. Tell me about what happened yesterday. And, you know, it'd be that those conversations all the time. And uh, we just couldn't make it work. And I knew that I was getting more and more pressure. And I was, I was even telling them like, guys, come on, like, just hit the goal. Like, we gotta hit the goal. Tell me why we're not hitting the goal. And I was like, if we hit the goal, I will throw a pizza party for everybody in the plant. You know, I'm like trying to incent them and we're still not hitting the goal. And this one day I come in and I had like this line, this dashed line drawn up here for what the goal was and the numbers were actually like down here. And um, somebody took out my chart and they drew the goal exactly halfway of what it was supposed to be with a little snarky comment off the side saying, we're never going to hit your goal. I was so upset. And I did something that I've never done before and I'll never do again. I brought them all into a meeting and I invited HR to come and watch. And I got these people all sat down in the room. There was a whiteboard. I started slamming my hand against the whiteboard. I was like, we need to hit the goal, you know, and I wanted respect. I wanted these guys to start to respect me. You know what happened? Well, it didn't go so well for me. The reason why I share that story is this. God has goals for your life. But unlike the insecure plant manager who couldn't do anything but have a temper tantrum, God doesn't persuade you to hit the goals that he's set before you for your life. He doesn't do it through persuasion. He doesn't do it through punitive measures. Our God is a God who loves you so much and he wants you to love him back. And that's the claim today is that love isn't love without a choice. God wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants you to love him because he loves you. But love can't be considered love 
if you're not at choice. If God was a punitive God who commanded and demanded and twisted your arms and slammed on whiteboards, it wouldn't be love. God draws you in and he wants you to respond in faith to him with love. And the problem is that people come up with all types of excuses as to why they aren't connected with God. There's all types of excuses about why I don't have enough time. Uh, His ways are outdated. I don't like to go to church. There's too many priorities in life. God can't help me with this one. We come up with all these excuses about why we're not connected with God. And God wants you to respond to him. And, as we saw the last couple of weeks, God is also in control. He is sovereign. In fact, God knew you before the foundation of the earth. And so God knows you. He actually makes the first move in the relationship. He chose you, and God chooses you, and yet we respond in faith to God. And I I like to think about it as like two parallel lines. God's sovereignty, like his power, his control over who he chooses— and our decision to choose God back. Those are two lines that are parallel, that don't contradict each other. How that is so, I couldn't explain to you. I don't know, but it is true. And so we're going to talk a lot today about the other side of that, the line about free will choice. And before I get into that, may I just explain what free will is. When we're talking about free will, we're talking about making a willful choice that each of us can choose to do what we think is right to do. That we aren't programmed like robots to do things a certain way. We have volition, we have agency, we have means to do what it is that we want to do. That's free will. And we're all responsible for our response to God. The entire world is responsible for their response to God. And I want to show you how that is through giving you several provisions that God gives to us that shows how we are responsible for our response to God. Here's the first one. The word is near us. It continues on in Romans chapter 10. We're going to get in verse 8. It says this. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based in the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. So we're going to stop right there for right now. What's happening here is, remember, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. He's writing this letter primarily to a Jewish audience so far in this letter. Next week, it's going to shift over. He's going to be speaking to Gentiles a lot. But he's mainly writing up to this point to Jewish Christians living in Rome. All right? Now, these Jewish Christians in Rome, they really didn't have like an apostle coming there yet. They didn't have so much of the pastoring going on there. So Paul is kind of laying it all out in this really robust book of Romans to them. But what they did have is they had a legacy. They had their Jewish culture, their heritage. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's referencing 
what Moses said to the people of God back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. And it went something like this. Moses had just been given the word of God. He had been given the the commandments from God. He had been given enough to, to write the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. He'd been given all that from God. And he was sharing this with the people. And the people were like wondering, how do they have a connection with God? And Moses' response is, you don't go up to heaven somehow to like pull God down. Like he has come near to us already. The word is near us, he says. So it's, it's showing that God chose to be in relationship with his people through his word. That God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses brought God's word to the people so that they were able to know God and obey God. 21st century America, the word is near us. You can pull out your phone right now and you can grab from a number of Bible apps. You can grab any translation you want. You can pick any font size that you want. The word of God is near us. It is available for us. God has chosen to reveal himself. So much of, the, of who God is is shown in the Bible. The character of God comes out through reading the word of God. The history of God, how God has shown himself to be it comes out in the Bible. Commands from God, what he wants us to do, comes out in the Bible. Prophetic words, things that will occur next, come out in the Bible. I've heard somebody say before that any life situation that you are going through, there is something in Scripture that will help you in that. The word is near us. But are we near the word? <laughs> do we get into the Bible? Do we hear God's voice primarily through that means? Or do we try some other things? Or do we make excuses about why we're not connected to God? See, the word is near us. So therefore, we have no excuse. We are responsible because of the provision of God coming to us through his word. Of course, God comes to us. He meets us in prayers. He speaks through the Holy Spirit to our hearts. But the primary way that God has chosen to be near to us is through his word. You can know God through his word. Here's another provision. And it sounds kind of redundant or silly. It's this though, and think about it. The response is from us. And here's what it means is that you aren't like being arm twisted to do something. Like you get to choose to respond how you want to God. Here it picks up in Romans 10. um, The last part of verse 8 says this. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. It's a pretty famous verse right here, Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What this means is that we have autonomy. We have the ability, we have agency to respond to God. We can make a willful choice on our own. And it talks about how we do that. It talks about we do that with our mouth and we do that with our heart. Let's start with the mouth. It says that we confess with our mouth. That word confess 
It's actually a Greek word that means to say the same thing. That's what the word confess means here. To say the same thing as another person. It's kind of like this. Like, think about like a crime scene and witnesses. And imagine like if like witness one says, yeah, the person that did that was driving a 2000 blue minivan. And person two says that they're driving like a 2024 red sports car. Like, you're, you don't have corroboration of witnesses. You don't have people saying the same thing. That's not confession because they're saying different things. When it says that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it means that we're all saying the same thing. That all the witnesses, let's take the crime scene again, if, all, if you had two or three or four or five or more witnesses all giving specific details about what they saw, what they witnessed, what they experienced, that would be a corroboration of evidence. And you'd say that you have probably um, beyond reasonable doubt evidence that something is likely true. Well, think about your confession. Jesus Christ as Lord. Think about the thousands of years of people that have gone before us that have been saying the same thing. Think about how many people before we were ever in these seats have been lifting arms saying, all hail King Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth. To confess means that we are in unison claiming the same thing with our mouths. We are speaking forth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That one confession will separate any true belief of Christ and any false belief. Many people will say good things about Jesus. He's a prophet, good dude, awesome teacher, did a lot of nice things, healed some people. Maybe they'll even say that he like, died on a cross. But generally, or specifically, people won't agree if they don't believe what we believe with our mouths, our confession that Jesus is Lord, if we claim that he is the Christ. He is God in human form who came to seek and to save the lost, to offer forgiveness for sins. So when we confess with our mouth, we are confessing the same thing as all of this great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, all of us who are in this room, and the global church who are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And in the church, the way that we proclaim Jesus' lordship beyond like our worship of what we just did um, and what we continue to do right now as a group, the fact that you're here is evidence that you believe that. Kind of like one rite that we do here as a church is baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is a confession. It's a proclamation you make with your lips to agree to what you're doing there with baptism. And then you show the world that your old self is dead, buried at the cross with Christ, and your new self has been resurrected like Jesus is, and that you are a new creation in Christ because he has forgiven you of your sins. We do it with our mouth. The response is from us with our mouth. The response is with us from our heart. It starts first in our heart. You know, God comes to us in many different ways. He, he comes to us through our minds. He comes to us physically through healings and other provisions that he does. He comes to us in all these ways. He comes to us with our emotions. God comes first to our heart. He convicts us of what's going on 
on the inside. I'll give you an example. Like before I was a believer, or slightly before, when I was kind of like checking out the Christian church, I was invited to this uh, one church where there's a dynamic speaker up front. And I, I didn't believe like everything he was saying, but like because he was so emphatic about it, because like I could tell it, it was in his heart, my mantra that day when I told Renee was like, I don't know if I believe everything that he's saying, but I know that he believes what he's saying because <laughs> it's like coming from his heart. When you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it should ooze out of you. People ought to be able to know that you have been with Christ because it's coming from within you. It's coming from your heart. That's the mark of a Christian. The response is from us. So maybe just evaluate your response right now to Christ. Maybe evaluate your response when you first believed, if you're a believer in this room, it was more than just words, right? It, it was more than just doing what your parents told you, right? It was more than like a speaker convincing you to do something, right? Did it come from your heart? And then evaluate your response to the Lord right now. Are you doing things for the Lord out of obligation or is it coming from a committed heart? Check yourself on that right now because the response is from us and we have no excuse. Here's another provision. The invitation is to us. Romans 10, 11 through 13. Some more famous words of Scripture here. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Romans 10, 13, another famous verse. What I love about this scripture is that it shows us that the invitation is to us. Because what's called out here is the extensiveness of the invite and the inclusiveness of the invite of the gospel. It's extensive because it says words like everyone in verse 11. It says everyone in verse 13. Everyone who calls, everyone who believes. That means that the gospel invitation is not only for a specific race or a specific age or a specific ability level or a specific part of the world or a specific era. It's not about that. It's not for like a specific education level. It's not for a specific um, you know, job that you have or income level. The gospel invitation is for everyone. Everyone has a ability to respond to the invitation from Jesus. That you can be saved. That goes out to the entire world for Jesus. It's extensive, going every single place. And it's inclusive. That's where the word all comes in. Meaning, if you accept the invitation, there's not one person that's better than another person. We are all on the same playing field. I like to say the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You know, when we are all humbling ourselves on bent knee before our Savior, there's nobody who's better than another person. We are all the same. We are the children of God. 
In fact, there's so many promises about being all the same. Like it says that you are co-heirs with Christ. Just get your brain around that for a second. Like you are a co-heir of Jesus Christ. We are all in that same family of God. Extensiveness and inclusiveness of the gospel. Romans 10.13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, that word saved is something that we tend to just throw away in modern speak, um, throw out in modern speak as if it's just like a casual thing. Are you saved? But do we really know what we're talking about when we say things like, I'm saved? Because being saved implies that you are saved from something bad happening. In fact, this verse, Romans 10.13, is pulling from an Old Testament prophetic scripture in the book of Joel, and it's talking about the day of the Lord, the apocalypse, when Jesus will come back and judge. It's pulling from Joel 2, 30-32. And let me read that to you so you can understand what being saved means, what you're being saved from. It says, And I will show wonders in the heaven and on the earth, blood and fire in columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. To be saved means that you are able to escape the judgment of God that is rightfully due to every single one of us because we are sinners. So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The only condition to be saved from the wrath of God is to call on the name of the Lord. And this is more than just like saying it with your voice and then forgetting about it. It comes from your heart. It's a confession. We're saying the same thing. When you call on Jesus as Lord, it means that he now is in first place priority of your life. If he's your Lord, then you aren't your own Lord anymore. You submit now to whatever the will of the Father is. So think about your invitation. Think about that invite going out to you. You know, I got invited to a uh, wedding. I got saved the date the other day. And I felt really special when I got that because somebody wanted me to be at their special event. God wants you to be to escape his judgment and to be in a relationship with him. So if you've accepted that offering, think about that. Think about how it, was, it wasn't God uh, slamming a whiteboard like an insecure 28-year-old superintendent you know, trying to get your attention. He drew you in. The Holy Spirit was working in you. And then you chose to go to him. Love isn't love without a choice. You chose to love the Lord. The response is from you and the invitation is to you. These are several provisions about why there is no excuse that we are all responsible for how we respond to the Lord. And here's one more for you. The preaching is for us. Romans 10, 14 to 17 says this. How then will they call on, the, on him in whom they have not believed? And how, how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The reality is that God could have probably chosen any type of way to bring people into his kingdom to be in relationship with him. God is all-powerful. He can do things how he wants. What God decided to do, though, is he decided to make people interact with people as the main way that he's going to lead people into his kingdom. Do you guys see that? That, that? The interactions between us is vital in this world to lead people into heaven. God wanted us to be in the game, to get off the bench, to get off our couches, to go out into this world to be disciple makers, to go out and make disciples under his authority to welcome more people into his kingdom. He could have done other ways to do that, but he chose us to relate to one another. It talks about in verse um, 14 through 17, it talks about how the preacher in the hearer is an important relationship that's established under God's way of doing things. That the person who is preaching the good news and the person hearing the good news, that that's a way that God has chosen to do things. Look, I, I think that God, God is absolutely talking about like preachers from a stage or evangelists and things like that and missionaries. But I, but I think the word here, preaching, really goes far beyond that. We're talking about like also... You're a preacher if you are having life-on-life -life relationships with people in your life. At work, neighbors, relatives, school, whatever. Like Those life-on-life -life relationships are an opportunity to preach, to come alongside somebody and confess that good news of Jesus. But it shows a chain reaction of logic. Starting with this, it says, How are they going to call on him whom they have not believed? So what Paul is showing is like, in order for somebody to come to the point where they, where they believe in Jesus as Lord, they, they've got to be able to, um, they, they first, or they, to call on, on Jesus as Lord, they have to first believe, right? You're not just going to say something, you have to first believe it in your heart. And then it says, how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? So this is the reason why we want to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ, because a person isn't going to believe in him if they've never heard about him. And it says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? That means giving the good news, the gospel message. And then how are they to preach unless they're sent? To be sent is to be an apostle, to go out, to be commissioned by the Lord, to be a sent one. Look, guys, the laborers are few. Look around. I know it's a snowy day, but we are a few people here. We've got to pray for laborers to go out into the harvest field. We've got to pray in this church, Oak Point Church, West Bloomfield, that he will bring through those doors some laborers to go out and preach good news. Our job here in this church is to hear from the Lord, 
the Lord to hear from us and to interact with people. Some of that is us. Lift each other up, feel the burdens, encourage each other, but interact with people outside of these walls too. We need laborers. We got to be praying on our knees for laborers to go out into this harvest field and preach good news. And look, I know that you're here by choice. I know that you're here because you feel that God has called you to this place. You have been sent forth to preach good news in this context of West Bloomfield. You could each go to a super big church with over a thousand people, and I'm not saying anything bad about such a church. Those churches are doing a lot of good things. In fact, the big church that we were sent from is helping to fund this church plant for the first few years. We need large churches to be sending forth. But look, we have a job here. We have a calling. We have a commissioning. And you have chosen to be here on purpose because we are supposed to be sent forth to preach good news. Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Don't you want to be told that when you meet the maker, when you go home to him? And he's like, oh, how beautiful were your feet when you were there on earth. How beautiful were your feet in West Bloomfield to reach Jewish people and to reach religious people and to reach wealthy people. Your feet are beautiful, meaning you have been made for a purpose and I have equipped you for good work to do to preach the good news. Because the preaching is for us. Somebody preached that good news to me. Somebody told me about Jesus in a way that I understood, that I received that call, that I believed, and that I called on him as Lord. Look, I've given a lot of sermons, and I've given a lot since that one I gave that day to my workers in that production environment. That was a bad one. I was slamming that wall, and I was, I was giving them the you-betters, you know, We're called to do it differently here in this context. We're called to win people as they examine our lives and as we invite them into the most wonderful journey that a person could possibly take on with Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen? So we want to be compassionate with our heart to reach people. I'm going to invite the band back up. This this passage finishes in Romans chapter 10, 18 through 21. I want you to listen to the argument that Paul is having at the end of this. He says in verse 18, But I ask, have they not heard? He's talking about the Jewish people. Have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The question that Paul is putting forth in this last part is, he said, did they not hear? And of course, the answer to that is, yes, they did hear. The Jewish people did hear. They could, have, they could have known who to look for in Jesus if they would have believed in their prophetic scriptures. They could have known who to look for in Christ if they would have thought about the foreshadowing in Torah. 
They could have known who to look for that the suffering servant, the one called out in Isaiah 53, would have been the one to see. But they didn't. And so for that reason, the Gospel is now available to all. That God's plan now is, is for the Gospel to go out to the entire world, Jew and Gentile. God is protecting a remnant of His Jewish people, those who are currently believers in Christ, and those who will come to faith in him. He's protecting a remnant. We're going to learn a whole lot more about that next week. And the whole world is invited to come into a relationship with him. The Jewish people should have understood. Your neighbors should understand. We all should know that there is no excuse. That the response needs to come from us. We are responsible for our relationship to the Lord. He has invited us. We're all responsible without excuse. Perhaps you're here today and you've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never made that commitment in your heart that He is Lord. It says if you believe, if you um, confess with your mouth, this is a confession that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved from the judgment of God. You'll have a right place with the Lord. You'll be a co-heir with Christ. Perhaps that's for you today. Maybe God is tugging on your heart to commit your life to Jesus today. If that's you, I'll offer prayer for that in just a moment. For the rest of us, preach good news as it says in Romans 10.14, there's a special gift that I got several years ago from my beautiful wife. It's this bracelet. And it's from Romans 10.14. And it says, preach good news. And I wear it sometimes to remind me that God has called me and he's called us to preach good news. Who is that person that needs to hear about the truth that if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved? Who needs to hear that in your life this week? Would you stand up and bow your heads for prayer? Maybe there's somebody here today that is convicted that the Word is near you, that you have access to getting into the Word of God, but for whatever reason, and let's not make excuses, whatever reason, you're going to take responsibility for that. It's been harder for you so far this year. Maybe that's you right now and you want to make a commitment to the Lord that you want to get near to Him because He has come near to you in His Word. If that's you and you want to get in the Word this week, raise your hand. God knows that you want to be near to Him. He sees you in that commitment. You know, the invitation is to us. The extensiveness of the Gospel the inclusion that we are among one another as believers. Nobody is better than another person. God has given this invite to everybody. So perhaps for you, it's remembering how you received that invitation and checking your heart right now. Are you still connected to God the way that you once were? And maybe this is the moment it's like, I want to get back to that, Lord. Help me get back to that. And you're just confessing that to him right now. If that's you, raise your hands. I see you guys. And God wants that too. He's like forgiving all of that. Whatever has held that distance, He wants you to draw near. He's holding out His hand for you. God's called us to be a, a small and mighty army here in West Bloomfield. 
The laborers are few. He's called us to go forth and preach good news. Look, you might not do that so much with your mouth. You might do it with your actions. Just being out and about, being intentional, praying. Start with praying for that person in your life. If, you're, if that's present for you right now, to preach the good news in whatever way that that is for you, in this context, would you raise your hand? A lot of us, me too. I'm convicted. In the gym this morning when I was working, I was like, oh, I've got to do some work to get back on mission, Lord. I've been really wrapped around the axle with other things, so I'm with you on that. Let's go out there and preach good news. Finally, is there somebody here today that needs to call on the Lord Jesus for the first time? To confess Him as Lord, turning your life over to Him. And if that's you today, raise your hand. Father, you are a mighty God. You are a faithful God. You are a loving God. Love isn't love without a choice. You chose us and we've chosen you. We love you. And God, we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.